Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. As you just heard, we're in week two of this unusual sermon series we're calling AMA, Ask Me Anything. We are studying through the book of John. We've been in that gospel book in the New Testament for months, and we're taking a break. We'll pick back up in just a few weeks, right where we left off. John chapter 18 is coming up in just a couple of weeks. But somebody asked a really powerful and really important question that prompted this whole sermon series and really all of the discussion that you're going to hear today. And they basically said, listen, I'm going deep with other brothers and sisters in the faith in Two Cities Church. Something really beautiful is happening, and we're getting connected really deep at a very heart level, and there's a result that's coming out of it. And now I'm starting to realize that where I am and where my brother or sister is, and they, she and I share the same beliefs, but the way that we put our beliefs into practice is very different. That's what prompted this sermon series. So I want to start today before I ask pastors Troy and Chris to jump in and to help with some really tough stuff today. I want to tell you about a breakfast that I was having many years ago with my buddy. We were sitting down at the Ranger Dining Facility on Fort Benning, Georgia, and Aaron Weaver and I had become closer than blood relation. He was closer to me than my own family. In fact, we were training together to compete in the best ranger competition. I spent, no exaggeration, 20 hours a day around this guy. He was so important in my life that when Dawn and I got ready to have our first child, one of the reasons why we named our first son Aaron is because of my buddy in the Army, Aaron Weaver. And although he shared my faith, we were having a conversation at breakfast, and it got really heated really fast because the conversation turned to abortion. And I started to realize that where I am and where he is and how we, we um, live our lives are really, really different from one another on this subject. And it bothered me. It bothered me so bad that after that breakfast, I started to ask the Lord, Lord, should I do best ranger with this guy? Lord, should a guy like this be my best friend if he is this different from me on a subject that's this important? And I just want to ask you, How many of you would say, you know what, we can't be friends anymore if you don't think or practice exactly like I do on this subject? Because I wrestled with that one. And I'm going to come back to Aaron at the end of this sermon today. But what you're going to hear from this whole sermon today is right here on the screens. When you start to bear one another's burdens, this is what we saw last week in the first week of this Ask Me Anything sermon series. Galatians 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens and by doing this you fulfill the law of Christ. Basically, this is what Jesus meant when he said, love your brother like yourself. When you do that, stuff starts to get awkward real fast. And building awesome bonds in the church is going to require bearing awkward burdens. It's going to get frustrating. It's going to get difficult for you. So somebody asked this very important question. 
that whole, the whole topic of discussion today is built on. In these complex cultural issues, this is the question, how do I balance law versus grace? The law of the Bible, where the Bible is very clear on these topics, I know what the Bible says, and I really want to beat my best friend over the head with the Bible at breakfast in this dining facility. But I also know I'm supposed to bear one another's burdens. So how do I do this? And as pastors Chris and Troy and I were preparing this week, Chris reminded us of this verse that we've studied and as a church in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'll put it up here on the screens for you. Here's what it says. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace. This is the children of God who have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law, see that word? The law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Say the word grace. grace. Now say and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I think some Christians pit law against grace. And they say, well, you can either have law and beat up somebody with the Bible, or you have to compromise what the Bible says to be gracious with people. That's not what this verse is saying. It says law and grace, grace and truth. You can have both. And today we're going to talk about how do you have both with some really touchy really, really important issues that are right now in the nightly news all across America. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up a chair, and I've brought in two guys that can probably speak to these issues better than I can. And the first issue that we're going to talk about today is sanctity of life. Now, when we say sanctity of life, this definitely includes abortion. But it also includes euthanasia, all of those end of life, beginning of life, all of those tough, complex, bioethic issues. And if I were to ask either one of these guys, does the Bible speak very clearly on these subjects? I can already answer this because we've talked about it twice this week. Yes, it does. Now, when we start to get into the question today, yeah, but how do you do what the Bible speaks very clearly about? Wow. That just got hard. So I want to start on the sanctity of life question by showing you one verse from Leviticus 18. Here's what the law that God gave through Moses says. You are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire of Molech. Do not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Here's what this verse is saying. Way back in Moses' day, people wanted to be successful at work. They wanted to make a lot of money. They wanted their crops to grow. They wanted to succeed. And in order to do that, they believed they had to worship this pagan idol where there was actually a fire and they would throw their babies into the fire, hoping that that idol would make them successful and lots of money. In other words, people were saying, I want my career to take off, and this baby is a problem, so I'm going to get rid of the baby so that my career will take off, and I can make lots of money. And that's exactly what Leviticus 18 is talking about. And Troy, I want you to start, and Chris, I want you to jump in when we start talking about abortion, about end-of-life issues, about the sanctity of life and how special life is, first question, really easy, yes or no question, is the Bible fairly clear on this one? Yes. 
Say yes. it in the microphone. Absolutely. Okay. How do we do what the Bible says when two believers are both following Jesus and they're both reading the same Bible and we kind of agree on what the Bible says, but we totally disagree on how to do that? Troy, how, how do we do that as believers? It's not an easy question, as we all know. So I have to filter through all weeks of reading and studying and actually talking to women who have been on both sides of the aisles of this. And it's very weird for three men to be talking about abortion um, when it's a woman's um, body. body that we're discussing. But the Bible, like we all agreed, is clear. And we have the scripture on the screen to show you referencing what the Bible says. And God loves life. He never attended a funeral in the Bible. And the ones that he passed by, he touched the coffin and the person rose from the dead. So that is more evident that God loves life. But in the midst of that, we know that people go through different things in life. And I think when you're talking about pro-life and pro-choice, for example, to me, they want the same thing. I'll tell you about a conversation I had with my daughter um, to better illustrate what I'm saying. Uh, we were having a discussion on abortion. I think it, it was before the Roe versus Wade was overturned. And she was talking more, um, she was for poor choice. She wanted to be able to decide for herself what to do if she gets pregnant. And the conversation kept going and I thought in my mind she was leaning towards um, abortion. And I asked her, I said, so if you get pregnant, would you have an abortion? And she said, no. She just want to have the right to her body to decide. She still would choose life if she were to get pregnant. So what that told me that the folks that are pro-choice are not necessarily saying they want to have abortion. They're just saying, I want to have a right to choose for myself. This is my body. I should have that right to decide. In the same way, if women were to get together and say, hey, after a certain number of kids, men should have a second, then men will be like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is my body. I should be able to decide. And it gets tricky. And the reason I say it gets tricky when you have one law deciding that's pro-life. In 1996, my wife and I, we were getting ready for our first child. And she gave me permission to tell the story. And she was having complications one day, and I had to stop and do something on my way to work, and something told me to go back home and see how she's doing. And when I went back home, she was in the same place she was when I left. And she was having some, some stomach pain, so I had to call into work, call my squad and say, hey, got to take my wife to the emergency room. Uh, we don't know what's going on. So we went to the hospital, and she ended up having a miscarriage. And I didn't, even she told me, I forgot. But we talked about the story a couple of days ago, and she said her discharge paper said spontaneous abortion. Spontaneous abortion. So with that being said, in some states right now, if you have a spontaneous abortion, we would be investigated for having an abortion because they wouldn't look at it as a miscarriage. They would look at it as possibly we did something at the house to cause her to miscarriage. And that, that was just weird. And she went back to work before I did because she felt guilty and felt she did something wrong 
in having the miscarriage that she just rolodex of mind going back over her past couple of days, what did I do that could cause this? And then she just went back to work, work so she can just stay busy. And the first day she went back to work, one of the coworkers came up to her and hugged her and said, I'm sorry for what happened. Those are not the times that you, not the response you give to someone that, that went through something that tragic and to just attack them or to say those words. You kind of just go on throughout your day, kind of let things be. But that's the dilemma that we're in. Um, to Chris in just a second, but um, listen, y'all, what we're talking about is just the tip of the iceberg and a couple of these issues today. It's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. If you want more information, look at the, the bottom of this sermon page on your mobile app and there's a orange hyperlink there to a PDF download that, that has some awesome videos, articles, books that you can read, lots more information out there. There's tons of resources. But today is just a tip of the tip of the iceberg. And if you're listening in this room or online, go ahead and open up Facebook. Go ahead and open up YouTube right now. You have our permission in the chat on our live channel, Facebook or YouTube, put a question in and we're gonna save some time at the end to try to answer your questions live. Just keep your questions related to the topics that we're talking about today. So Chris, this is not just about abortion. This is about capital punishment. This is about end of life questions. This is about bioethics questions. And one of the things that I'd like for you to address is, is it your responsibility to fix somebody else's bad theology on this one? Let's say that we both understand what the Bible says, and we're both pretty much agreed on what the Bible says, but the way that we practice what we both agree on is radically different. Is that my job to fix your bad theology here? So obviously this is a delicate issue, um, and we see it every, each and every single day, but as we led off from the beginning, we talk about the reality of law and grace. And we see also from scripture that Paul does call us to rebuke our brothers and sisters. And number one, I think it's important to remember that Paul talks about our brothers and sisters. That means other believers. Um, so that means we can go to scripture and we can rebuke, but that balance of then law and grace means that's not just beat, bludgeon the person to death with the scripture. Yes, we know what the scripture says. We know what God's expectations from scripture say, but there is a measure of grace that has to be applied as well. And that's going to come down to where is our brother and sister in their walk with Christ? Where exactly are they on this process of becoming more closer and closer to God? Because I, I didn't grow up in the church. I don't have 30 plus years of Sunday school where I often tell, and I'm going to tell stories on my wife every week, and she's going to yell at me for doing it, but that's fine. She grew up in the church, and sometimes she looks at me and she's like, you didn't learn that in Sunday school? I'm like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's because I wasn't there. And we have to remember that that's true of the people to the left and the right of you. But when you engage people outside of this building, outside of the gathered church, outside of your life group, you have no idea where those people are in terms of their walk with Christ. And it's so important that yes, because if we are following Christ's model entirely, we're going to see that he acknowledges the sin. He never ignores the sin, but he is then going to immediately transition to how do I care for the person directly in front of me? And you're going to hear me say this a lot in the next couple of weeks and in the next couple of minutes, that we do this absolutely poorly yeah. as the American church. Totally agree. Um, 
I don't think I've even had a chance to tell these two this. Almost everything that I practice about this question of sanctity of life comes from a seminary professor of mine by the name of Dr. Contreras. Now, Dr. Contreras taught a course on, in, uh, at the seminary, master's level in the seminary on this. He had a PhD in theology. But I call him Dr. The Contreras because I rarely met another man who believed in the word of God and held to its accuracy, who loved Jesus as much as that man did, but he was also a medical doctor. 20 years, listen to this, of practicing obstetrician and delivering babies. And in the classroom with all of those preacher boys, he taught us something. Listen, guys, the scriptures are very clear on this, but how you do what the scriptures say is infinitely more complex. And almost everything that I understand about bioethics comes from that medical doctor become a theologian and teaching future pastors. But this is really, really hard. So question for both of you two guys. Let's say that in your group, somebody is so passionate about this and they are so different from you about this. Do we excommunicate them from our group over this one? No. And the reason is, is clear. If we look at the Bible real thoroughly, where did Jesus spend a lot of his time? He spent his, a lot of his time with sinners, those that didn't look like him or think like him. He spent most of his time with those folks. As a leader, I seek people who don't, view things the same way I do, who, don't, who didn't come from where I came from. So I want to hear their perspective on different things. If you're just working in a bubble with people that think like you and look like you, you're going to end up just saying something, they're just going to go along with it. But we have to be able to interact with one another and be able to communicate with one another, not just in the world, but in the church as well. Because the body of Christ is a mixture of different people from different walks of life, not just different ethnicities, but from rich to poor to middle class to short to tall, so on and so forth. And heaven is going to look like that. So I don't want to get to heaven and experience that for the first time when God wants us to experience that here on earth. And that's why I just love two cities. And that's why I was here from its conception based on those things. And Pastor Jeff has never wavered from those foundations and he never will because he has a history of doing that and and I do too so no you you have to be able to work together hey can we just uh respect the fact that pastor Troy just used the word con uh conception in yeah. in talking about the beginning of our church way to go uh Chris do we excommunicate somebody because you and I just disagree so much on this how are we supposed to be in the same life group and get really close to one another so I agree with Troy from the concept of Everything has to come back to scripture, right? So one of the things that I know that we all focus on and is a core understanding here within life groups, it's a core understanding with our church and places that I've grown up is that conversation has to come back to opening the word and doing the work together. So a lot of this comes down to the reality of we have to get into the word together. We have to get into God provided us his character, his being, his law, his grace, everything that we can pull from. Well, that means if we're incapable of sitting down and doing that together, we're not helping people, we're not pulling people up, and we're also not looking above to see something uh, come of it. And I think the problem that we really focus on a lot today is we turn on the television and we allow our politics and our culture to drive that conversation more than we do the word of God. So that means we have to then also remember we need to actually listen uh, to one another so that we can 
not just listen to respond, but listen to understand. Because if we don't understand where somebody's coming from, we can't actually get to the core issues where we might be disagreeing. Because just from laying that out there, you might find out that you are having a cultural disagreement, which means you need to return to the gospel right. and the word of God and actually talk about the thing. That's, that's where life group for me is so important is we are bathed in culture every single moment of your day. You know that, right? That when we leave here, we are surrounded by the world. And that's part of being in two cities at the same time. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, just what you heard from those two is absolutely true. And I want to say it this way. You've now heard two weeks in this two-week sermon series about how pernicious, I hate to use this word, how dangerous politics is. You really need to be back here next week because we're going to devote the whole week to that. And we're going to offend just about everybody if you are back here next week when we talk about what politics is doing to the church. Yeah, if this was awkward, just... Keep yeah, with us. If you think these are thorny, wait till next week. Um, okay, so we're going to move on, but I just want to say we're only touching on the very tip of abortion. We didn't even talk about capital punishment. Man, the church is wildly divided on this. There's several great resources on that PDF download about capital punishment, but for the sake of time, we got to move on. So let's just turn up the notch a little bit. Let's go from sanctity of life to the next one. Let's talk about sexual ethics and specifically about other people's views on homosexuality, adultery, fornication. Man, there's lots and lots and lots of scripture references here, but I want to point out what Leviticus 18, the very, very next verse in the Bible says, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman because it is detestable. I'm gonna add in here to the Lord. It is detestable to the Lord. But the question we're asking is not what does the Bible say, Troy and Chris, but how do I do life with somebody who says, I know what the Bible says, and I agree with you on what the Bible says, but how we practice that is different. Like, is it okay for somebody to have a same-sex attraction and not to act on it? What is okay and how far is too far when you're dating and what's not okay? And man, the church is all over the map on this. So Troy, I'm sorry, Chris, why don't you kick us off, will you? Okay. So I got women pastors last week and sexual ethics this week. Thank yeah. you. Um, Just keeping it easy for you, good. buddy. So... The church is massively divided on this, right? But the thing that I want to be explicitly clear on, as you can see from the, from the screens, what you can see in terms of the scripture that we've outlined here, the Bible is fairly, very clear on this particular issue, all the way from Genesis, all the way through 1 Timothy, all the way through Revelation, that we see multiple examples of what the created order was intended by God, and that is very important to the conversation that we know that God created man and woman, gave complementary roles, gave each their purpose in reality and multiplication being part of that and the reality of who we are. And then into the New Testament and Jesus being present with us, we see the reminders of the importance of that relationship, that monogamous relationship. So I'm not just gonna sit here and just talk about LGBTQ plus issues because we also have the issues of adultery. We have the issues of premarital sex that technically we call this sexual ethics because God gave us a sexual ethic. It's not just about single issues. And that's one thing that I think is really important when we engage one another as people is that, again, the culture is pushing a very specific 
agenda, a process in what it's supposed to be, but scripture has actually outlined us what the intention of our creator is. Great. Thanks, Chris. So what? The so what does come into the balance of the law and grace part, right? The law is clear. But how we engage the people around us matters, doesn't it? Yes. Thank you. Um, I have spent a great deal of time in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, a lot of, I managed a comic book shop while I was going through seminary. I spend a lot of times with other geeks and nerds. I am a geek. If you haven't heard this speech, that's, that's okay. That's what I am. Um, but this community is very, the artistic community in general is very expressive in their individuality, what makes them who they are, and a lot of that is LGBTQ. And so I got approached on day one from my manager at the shop that was like, is this going to be an issue, Pastor Man? And, and honestly, I looked back at him and I was like, no. He's like, are, are you sure? I, I'm pretty sure your Bible says something about this. And I'm like, yeah, it does. But it also says something and what it says is that I'm supposed to love God's creation that is all around me. And if you're asking me to manage other employees, then my secular duties is to defend the people that are under my employ. So, yes, if people are going to be physically, verbally, et cetera, abusing my employees in my space, you're darn right I'm going to defend them. Because I believe the gospel demands that of us. And that is not the message that a lot of you are probably used to hearing or a lot of you have seen and heard, but I need you to understand something that, like I said earlier, this is something as the American church we do poorly. Yeah. Because if we are supposed to give grace and explain law to those that are far from God and we take the immediate position of, well, if you're going to come to church like that, then you can't be here. What? Isn't this the one place yeah. that all people that are furthest from God should be? Yes. Amen. This isn't easy. I understand it's not easy. I understand it gets harder when we are also presented by folks that are choosing to militarize yeah. that action against us, to come to church to scream at us because just what I've said. Have I raised my voice? Have I said that everybody's going to hell and all this terrible stuff? No. But one thing that we need to do, and hear me, church, because I'm going to get off this soapbox in a moment, <laughs> is the reality of there's no such thing as a special sin. Yeah. But so many of us have been taught that that is the sin that is above all other sins. And I hate to break it to you, there's only one quote-unquote special sin. Yeah. Against the Holy Spirit. Right. Going apostate, actually denying the reality of Christ is the only thing that rises above every other sin. That means the adulterer sitting in the front row is just as guilty as the homosexual sitting in the front row. And we need to start realizing that as we engage our culture. And I understand it's hard because the culture is beating us to death publicly over this. But how we respond matters. And when you see it as a militarization from our side, I don't think we are doing the gospel or Jesus the honor that we are supposed to do. Yeah, Chris, perfect setup for what I'm gonna ask Troy next. Um, if you were to go back and to read that first Corinthians chapter six passage that's in your mobile app, what you're gonna find is that in this Corinthian church, there were a bunch of adulterers and homosexuals, former adulterers and homosexuals. And Paul even says it this way, such were some of us, 
until we experience the gospel. And what Chris is saying is when you find that homosexuals, adulterers, people that are stuck in sexual sin feel like I could never enter the doors of a church because those people will judge me and they'll condemn me and they'll literally chase me to my car in the parking lot telling me how much I don't belong there. When the church acts like that, I can't show up so I have no access to the gospel anymore. And here's the setup that this question came in verbatim this week, Troy, and I'd like for you to answer it. Why is homosexuality treated more harshly than other sins like adultery and fornication, sex outside of marriage? Is it true that all sins are equal, as Chris just said? And if it is, why does the church deal with this one like it's not equal? Nice, easy question for you. You know, I kept the hard stuff for him. Of course, I would like to start off by saying I can't answer for everyone or every church on this question. I can only answer for for me and for two cities yeah. is that and River Valley for and River Valley, for that matter. Um, we don't we don't look at it as different as far as why the church um, view it as such a sin that's over adultery because when you think about adultery you find out about adultery, meaning that that information ain't just on the headline. When you're dealing with homosexuality, you see it in the person, where they walk, sometimes like where they dress, so on and so forth. When someone is committing adultery, you catch them in the act of adultery, or you know someone that's committing adultery, there's nothing about their makeup that tells you that they're sleeping around. But as far as a homosexual, um, it's expressed in, in their daily activity, their daily walk, and so on and so forth. So the church don't like it when it's like in their face to that extent to where you are, they are in your church and they are singing in your choirs, they are your musicians, and so on and so forth. They feel that how dare you do that just blatantly outright, and I think that's the part that offends uh, a lot of churches because a lot of the other stuff are kind of like hidden stuff, and homosexuality is not really that hidden. But you still should have compassion. For example, with Jesus and the woman who was caught in act of adultery and was brought to him, and they wanted Jesus to condemn her. And you tell, simply tell him, he without sin cast the first stone. I mean, all the evidence was there for him to say, him to banish her or do whatever, but he chose compassion. He chose love. He chose to give her um, another chance to, to get it right and not destroy her in the midst of what she was doing. And we have to remember that because we're not perfect. And I think a lot of times we overlook our faults when we're seeing other people because the only time when you see, when do you see you? When you look in the mirror. But you spend most of your day seeing what other people are doing and then you get in the mornings and afternoon, you look in the mirror and you kind of see yourself. In that reflection, then you look over yourself and all the things that, that you've done or you're doing, then you start to put things in this proper perspective because like, maybe I should just keep my mouth closed on a lot of things because I'm not doing everything as perfectly right as I should be either. Thanks for pointing out the woman caught in adultery, Troy, because in this instance, Jesus has all of the authority to pick up a rock and kill her for it. But hey, what about the guy? If she was caught in the very act, where is he right now? 
But at no time does Jesus minimize the sin. In fact, after he tells everybody, you want to kill her? Go ahead. Whoever's perfect, throw the first stone. And then after they all walk away, he reminds her, go and sin no more. Um, he, he, he is both law and grace. Instead of law versus grace, he's both law and grace at the same time. Uh, and just to kind of capstone that, because I know a lot of folks have asked, what is the practical application? What, what is this? So when I was originally faced with this question in, by my employer, and I've had a lot of employers ask me directly if my faith is going to impact um, my secular job, which, Good. I, I, well, yes, but at the same time, ironically, is very illegal. Um, but here we are, so know the burdens that you carry. Um, it, it's only illegal if we're talking about people that are not Christians. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, correct. Um, well, they were asking if basically I was qualified because yeah. I was a Christian, and I was like, I'm, I'm applying to sling comic books. Um, but the practical application that is so important for folks to remember in all of this is, and this is typically how I answer this question, is I will look directly at anyone that asks about questions of the reality of the law and say, you know what? I'm willing to guarantee 100% that you and I are going to disagree on this. But that doesn't mean that, number one, that I don't love you. Number two, that I'm unwilling to talk about this. But here's the deal. I want to understand who you are. I want to understand what you see in me as a Christian or what you see in the church. Because they might have had an extremely terrible experience, which we should come alongside and care for. Because we're, we just said this. We're not perfect, are we? We're incredibly broken. Are there sinners sitting before me today, and are there sinners sitting on this yes. stage? Yes. Somebody said yes real fast when they asked, <laughs> you asked, are there sinners sitting on this stage? They're like, yeah, there are. Comfortable. But if we're not willing to have those conversations and have them at this volume, then we're not being responsible, A, Christians, or just members of a society. And we see it around us every single day that we have lost that ability in culture in general, but especially in the Western culture, if you insert politics, church, or anything into it, we're going to be screaming at each other and not listening at all. So let's advance the conversation just one more step, and now let's go from sexual ethics to talk about social justice. Somebody asked this question, how much should the church be involved? Notice it's a should question. How much should our church be involved in social justice? And then a follow-on question is, what happens when we disagree? We both agree that we should be involved, but we disagree on how we should be involved in social justice. And just to set this question up, it's for both of you. I want to put Matthew 25 on the screens because Jesus basically challenges his church to meet practical needs. And the king, he's talking about when you stand before the king of kings in heaven, the king will answer them, truly I tell you, Whenever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did this for me. There was a very real need. Somebody needed a cup of cold water. Somebody was sick. Somebody was in the hospital. And somebody had a need. And my church stepped in and met that need. And Jesus is saying, when you did that, you were actually not just doing it for them. You were actually doing it for me. Because this is my body. So either one of you two... How should the church, how much should the church be involved in social justice issues? And what happens, the other, for the other one, what happens when we disagree? I think it depends on what the action, what took place. I think a lot of times we look at the news and we hear about a crime. Most people 
think about, all right, what race is, was the crime committed by? And then we shift our thinking for sympathy or not have sympathy based on, on that. In the world I was in for 23 years is right is right, wrong is wrong. It, it didn't matter what race you were, no matter what your, your wealth was or whatever. If you did something that broke the rules, you were punished for it. it, it none of those things were taken, in, taken into consideration. As far as how the church falls in on it is we come at it from a different perspective than the average person. We come at it from a spiritual perspective, whereas uh, someone who's, who can give them psychological help, so on and so forth, we are trying to save a person's soul so they don't have to do those things that cause them to get in trouble in the first place. And I think we were to be honest, all of us have done something in the past that weren't going to jail for. We just weren't caught in the act of doing it. So by the grace of God, we were not caught. But those persons were and try to assist them in whatever way we can. And just depends on where they are as far as the amount of help. And Chris, very quickly, let's say you and I are in the same group. We both agree we should be doing something, but we totally disagree on what we should do or how much of it we should do. How do I handle that? Uh, this should come as no shock to anyone. You should open your Bible. No? No ooze, no ahs, fine. Uh, you should open your Bible. Um, and But even before you begin that process, I think one of the most important things that we've kind of been missing, and I think it's important here because this is a great example, is you have to define terms before you yeah, actually yeah. get into a conversation because you are probably starting from two entirely different positions even though you have uttered the same words. And for us, of course every issue is a quote-unquote social justice issue mm -hmm. to the Lord because the again the reality of law and grace is the cornerstone of what biblical justice is and if you can't start that conversation from there then again you are talking from a cultural and political perspective which may not actually align with again we have thousands of pages of God's character available to us to open and understand what he sees as justice and if we're not looking at the world through that lens as Christians, again, we're, we're kind of guilty of then applying culture where we're supposed right. to be applying truth. Yeah. Hey, this isn't even the tip of the iceberg on this one. And this question is so big and so important, especially where we live right now, that we're going to come back three weeks from now and we're going to deal with it in an entire Sunday. Let me go back to Aaron Weaver for just a second. In my heart, I really wanted to fix his theology. And basically what I wanted to do is play the role of the Holy Spirit and fix something that only God could fix. And long story short, Aaron and I stayed very close friends. He and I were as, as close as anybody that I've ever uh, had, a, uh, any friend of mine, until he was killed in Iraq. Right before he was killed in Iraq, Aaron Weaver had a baby. And when his daughter Savannah was born, he radically changed his opinion on sanctity of life issues. I never said a word to him about it. Nothing that I said changed Aaron's opinion. Having a daughter 
watching that daughter in his uh, wife's womb and seeing her born and seeing her come out uh, after the delivery, that's what radically changed Aaron's opinion. I didn't have anything to do with that. And I want to caution Christians who really disagree, be careful that you're not trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit because that's a couple of pay grades above your head. And that's something that only God can do. Now, I want us to fast forward for just a second, and I want to put some next steps on the screen. You'll see them also in front of your mobile app. And for those of you who were here last week, you're going to say, wait a second, these look exactly like last week. They are. And they're going to continue to look like this because here's the challenge that we have as a church. When believers start to get deep with one another and realize, whoa, we are different than each other on this one. And how you do this one, you're going to have to be gracious and patient with each other. And all of these things you've heard from Chris and Troy both, they all begin with a relationship with Christ. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to radically change a man or a woman's heart. Maybe today you need to start that relationship for the first time. Maybe you're not experiencing these issues because the truth is you're not connected with other believers and you're not going deep in life groups. If that's you, I want to challenge you. You're missing the most important thing that we do as a church. Life groups is more important than this meeting on Sunday mornings. So I'm begging you, please get connected. You can do it right there in that mobile app if you click on the life group tab. But if you're in life groups, please don't hide behind facts of the Bible. The goal here is to go deep with other people. And going deep means we're going to have to not only recognize the facts, the facts are the facts, but we're going to have to go beyond the facts to living out the facts with one another. And that's where stuff starts to get challenging. So please don't settle for shallow relationships. I realize we're close to the end, but I want to give a few moments for questions that came in live. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to take a look at my notes and see if anybody submitted some live questions. Let me pray over us. Father, we've talked about some really thorny issues. And the beautiful part of this sermon today is that brothers and sisters are getting so close with one another in groups at Two Cities and at River Valley that they're starting to realize, wow, we are really different from each other. How do I do this? And God, what we're really hearing today is we all need to be radically dependent on your Holy Spirit. So maybe for that guy or gal watching for the first time that has a soul that needs to be transformed, they are committing the first and the only unpardonable sin of denying that Jesus is big enough to radically change their soul, maybe they would come to you in faith right now, just crying out a prayer of desperation that says, God, forgive me. God, heal me. God, change me. For brothers and sisters that are not connected deeply and are kind of going through life alone and isolated, they're the perfect target for the enemy. So God, would you help them to feel a desire to go deep with other brothers and sisters? And finally, for those that are going deep, and now it starts to get thorny and complex, would you help us not to just settle for the facts and hide behind facts? Would you help us to figure out how we live life with people that don't agree with us on social justice, sexual ethics, sanctity of life kind of stuff? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to open the live channel, and I'm going to see if, oh, we got some questions that just came in. 
Um, All first of them question, for Troy. either one of you two, my grandmother at 98 years old started telling everyone that when she turns 100, she was done with life and that she wanted to die. When she turned 100 years old, she stopped eating and died one month and five days later. Did she kill herself, meaning did she commit self-murder, and did she commit a sin by not eating at 100 years old? Wow, nice easy question. Thank you. Who wants to ta Troy? tackle that one? Uh, I think I'll go ahead and, and make an attempt here that though we know the outward profession that is made, that one thing that we should always remember is that we do not know the conversation between an individual and the Holy Spirit at any given moment, and we should never pretend to do so. And that's a hard part of any circumstance that we are provided. So at the end of the day, that's one of those, do we know what that conversation ultimately looked like mm -hmm. um, at the throne of judgment? It's hard to say, and I hate to say and be wishy-washy about it, but I think it's truth that we also know that the grace of God is so abundant and so amazing that in the action, there could have been repentance once again in the process, which means we just, we just don't know. And I think that this is a circumstance and many circumstances like it, especially where suicide is much more prevalent, where we know that a weapon was involved or overdosing, yeah. et cetera, that we do not know the circumstances and we do not know the conversation um, with the Holy Spirit in the final moments. And it's really difficult for us to inflect into that. And I think it's even irresponsible for us. So the short answer might be, I don't know. But I think also at the same time, there's a real practical reality of, we just should never assume those conversations before the throne. I know we're going a little bit late. I have a question for you in just a second, Troy, but I'm gonna ask the question that came in last week. Should the church influence culture or should we be influenced by our culture? And I'll just answer that one for you. Yes, yes. <laughs> the church should influence culture, but we should also recognize that we live in a city where there is a culture. Okay, next question that came in. Um, says, I don't know the specifics. And by the way, if you live in the state of Texas right now, if you live in the state of Georgia, this is you. I don't know the specifics, but earlier this year, a 10-year-old girl was raped and became pregnant. She went to, her family took her to another state where she had an abortion. And they, as a Christian, she should have kept her baby. But today, that act would be considered a crime punishable by jail in the states of Texas and the legislation that's in front of the state of Georgia right now. Um, and how would you respond, Troy, to this girl who was raped at 10 years old and became pregnant and parents took her to end the baby's life by abortion? The, the scripture, again, is clear on this issue. The thing that we can go into the gray area on is that we are individuals, we have to make decisions. I can tell you with certainty that if God meant for that child to live, that child will live. There's a person who's alive right now that his mother tried twice to abort a pregnancy, and he still was, was born. So God in that situation just didn't step in to allow her to, to have that child. But God still loved that child, and that child is, she'll see the child some way, someday eventually. Amen. If she is a believer and, and, and goes to heaven, Amen. because it's not lost, it's not um, forgotten about by God. 
Um, Enad is a whole separate book on that the, for those that are interested in that is give you a reference to that as well. But those those babies are not just forgotten about by God um, in no stretch of the imagination. All right, we're going a little bit late for one last question, and this one will kind of wrap up the service for us. This came in on our live channel, and I think this question deserves us sticking around for a few minutes. So how do you reflect, reflect Christ, and how do you respond in a way that honors him when you're the one who was in a relationship with an adulterer? Meaning, I've been pure, married to a wife or to a husband that had adultery or maybe multiple affairs, and I'm trying to honor Jesus. How do I do this? Wow, great question. Let's wrap it up with this one. Either one of you two or both of you two want to talk to this lady? And by the way, because it came in on the live channel, it's pretty much from a lady. I think this is a great example of what we're also called to be as a Christ-bearing community. That obviously, again, I cannot personally speak from the, the circumstances directly or, or even come to understand it. That empathy is one thing, but understanding is another. But... We know what the scripture says in terms of the process of adultery. We know that our goals are always to attempt to preserve the marriage union, but we know that there are circumstances that are obviously going to push us beyond. And we know that Christ even acknowledges mm -hmm. that, that adultery, abuse, et cetera, that there are circumstances that we absolutely have to acknowledge happen in the world. Matthew 19. Yep. And so a lot of this is just clinging onto that rock because it's not going to make sense in the process. Um, I think what a lot of us are going to say isn't necessarily always going to be everything that you needed to hear. And, but I do think, like I said, that this is what the community is for. Because if we rush the judgment, then we've pushed somebody to the outside that is struggling. And we're supposed to be a community about coming together. We're supposed to be focusing upon the realities of Christ. But at the end of the day, we know that there are circumstances that Christ is going to deliver an individual through that process in a way that some churches are going to sit there and go, you didn't try hard enough. Yeah. And you, you need to hear from other pastors and other folks of, you, if you're staying focused on Christ and you understand the laws you're going through something that's incredibly difficult. But you're not always at fault. Yeah. And, and, and don't go through it alone. Right. And also remember that forgiveness, especially in the Christian sense, and we talk a lot about this in our life group because we have a lot of people that have had to forgive in complicated situations, is holding on to anger and hatred is a form of idolatry. It takes away our focus from the Holy Spirit. It takes our focus away from who Christ truly is. Forgiveness is the process of releasing that anger, releasing that so that you can once again focus on the thing that is most important. That doesn't necessarily mean at the end of the day that you're going to be best friends with the person that abused you. In fact, it almost guarantees that you probably yeah. won't. And you need to hear from other church leaders that that is okay yeah. and right. Yeah. Um, we're going to show you a video that wraps up this service. We didn't even talk about doing this, but Troy, will you close by praying for this woman? 
who's struggling with a marriage to, to a, an adulterer? Would you close by praying for the woman or perhaps the guy out there whose wife had an abortion without even consulting him, the woman who's had an abortion and feels like I've been treated like this is the unforgivable sin. Would you close by just praying for them because they're struggling with what they're going through? We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.